Hello and welcome once again to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. The senior side may have begun a rather lengthy mid-season adjournment, but there is no such rest for us wicked Belfast Telegraph journalists. With me, Gareth Hanna, our rugby reporting duo, Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, how's it going? And Adam McCandry. Hello. How are you, Adam? Hey, guys. I'm good. So, on this week's agenda then, we will uh, look back at what was absolutely 100% the most highly publicised Ulster A game in history, and also in future probably. Um, we've got some of your listener questions then to talk through as well, which tackle timely topics from Roy Best through to Will Allison, and plenty more in between. So, stay tuned for that. You can't fast forward. That is definitely cheating. Not that you'd want to, because first we have to discuss Ulster A's 37-14 win over Leinster and that meant it was a double for the young Ulster team over their southern counterparts this season and Jonathan Bradley against uh, I don't know why I said, said your, your two names there but um, against any Leinster team doing the double is uh, quite an achievement yeah absolutely I think um, going back to that September game game that sort of fell in between the end of last season and the start of this season as it were in that one week through to beating Monster, a draw with Connacht, and then obviously beating Leinster again. It's been a hugely successful run of fixtures, but most importantly, in a, in a very strange time. Like you look at some of those guys that were playing, uh, you know, Ruben Crullers came off the bench, uh, Ben Carson hadn't played since the Schools Cup last year. These guys, you know, there's no All Ireland League for these guys to play in. There hasn't been a BNI Cup or anything like that. So these sort of handful of A games have been the only games they've had. Now, obviously, it's been the same for the opposition, but to be able to, I suppose, get that level of consistency in your results and your performance, despite not having regular game time and even disruptions to training and stuff is a real testament of the group, I think. So at, at the end, well, not the end, but in the middle of all that run then came this game, Adam, that um, was being broadcast live by BBC. Bizarre for, for an Australia game to be broadcast live by BBC. And then it seemed that every rugby journalist in Ireland was tweeting about it as well. Everybody had their eyes on this as the only rugby in Ireland over the weekend. And and really for Australia, it couldn't have come at a, at a much better time whenever they're, they're playing so well and enjoying such a big win. I think whenever you are in a position where you have been starved of rugby because of COVID, you, you take anything you can get. And especially right now for the squad, whenever you consider the lack of rugby that they have had, the, the academy guys, or so, some of the academy guys at least, you take any chance you get to play. And that applies to you know the likes of Bill Johnson, Gareth Milosinovic, Ross Kane, Adam McBurney, all those guys, all the senior guys who came down to play as well. You know, it's getting these guys game time is massive during this period because if you look ahead to the Six Nations when Ulster are going to have to use their squad, you need these guys to have had a few games. You need them to be somewhere near match fit because if you're pitching them in and they haven't played in seven, eight months then there's going to be a massive drop-off in terms of fitness between themselves and some of the opposition, potentially. So being able to arrange this game, being able to play a team as competitive as Leinster, as good as Leinster, was fantastic for the squad. It's something that'll really stand them in good stead going forward, hopefully, because the more you can get these guys in the pitch, the more they can develop. And you've got to bear in mind, these guys have almost lost a whole year of development there's a lot of growing you can do as a player on the pitch nothing can replicate taking your learnings or learning from your mistakes on the pitch Jonathan the tries then came from uh, 
Callum Reid, uh, Marcus Ray, and two from, I was going to say, Johnny Sexton. What's his first name? is going out of my head. That would have been a serious uh, case of stacking your A-team if Johnny Sexton had been playing on uh, <laughs> Friday afternoon. Aaron Sexton? Aaron Sexton. that took a, a real brain fart there. So anybody reading about that game will no doubt read that read the fact that he has scored five in his last three Ulster A games and given all the other talk we've had about Aaron Saxon coming through his speed and everything else people will no doubt be licking their lips about this guy obviously you don't get many chances to see him playing what did you what did you make of him yeah very similar to any other time I've seen him really he is very dangerous uh he kicks well and I suppose the thing that you maybe learned about him that I haven't seen before is Whenever you're seeing him up close, you really get the impression of how dangerous his kick chase can be because he just because he gets there so fast. Like he had one in the first half that he kicked from very, very deep. And then before the covering Lancer player in the back three knew it, he was on top of him. And Ulster ended up winning a penalty. Now they didn't score off the off the kick to the corner, but it was just interesting. And it's some it's something else that players have to think about because um he gets there so much faster than you think he's going to be. Like whenever he puts the afterburners on, you saw saw it for his first try. He's on your shoulder so fast that it can almost affect the timing of when you need to release the pass as well if you're a teammate. But he's been so prolific at this level going back to whenever he was still in school and playing for playing for the A team in that uh, B and I Cup campaign. So another two, yeah, you're right. It's, it is only going to increase. I suppose the clamor to see him play more regularly in the Pro 14. But at the same time, there's been minutes there and they've gone to McElroy and they've gone more recently to Ben Moxham. So I suppose there's something there that Dan McFarlane sees in Ben Moxham and sees in Ethan McElroy that he's not seeing in training from Saxton yet. That means he's not seeing more time in the Pro 14. Well, I think what he's probably seeing in Moxham is an ability to cover centre as well. And that's why he's good for that bench spot, just, just from a perspective of versatility. So it could potentially be another while then for anybody who's getting very excited, maybe just uh, cool the Jets a wee bit yet. Well, think what one thing that you can't overlook is his try scoring record. Like the guy scores tries and, you know, they're not flukes. They're they're not like he's catching a loose ball and just flopping over the line or something like that. You know, he's he's running good support lines. You know, Bill Johnson puts that outside of the outside of the foot grubber kick through for him, which is a phenomenal kick. But Sexton's running the perfect line to get that and it's only the fact that Sexton is that quick that that chance comes about so it's it's not a case of you know he's scoring these tries by chance he is getting himself in these positions to score tries and that's what you need from your wingers you can have great impacts on the game elsewhere and you need that from your wingers as well but ultimately your wingers are there to finish off scores in the corner and if you have a guy who has lightning pace you just need to give him that little tiny bit of space and he'll go around the outside and he'll score you've seen guys like brian habana made massive amounts of his pace shane williams you know these are guys with massive amounts of pace and they were world-class wingers so I'm not saying that Aaron Sexton is necessarily going to be a world-class winger because he has endless amounts of pace, but he he automatically has a massive advantage on a lot of other wingers. And he does have the physical profile as well. So I, I think one of the things that we saw whenever he played against Edinburgh was he just didn't get the ball in his hands enough. I think if if you give him another chance and try to get him more actively involved, I think you might see a bit more from him. But you gotta temper your expectations. I think he's still going to be a very good player. But you just gotta he's just gotta be patient for his time and 
whenever it comes, make the most of it. Because you got to bear in mind, Ulster still have a lot of good wingers still to come back. You've got Rob Balakoon, who hasn't played at all this season. Rob Little's currently injured. Will Addison's currently injured. I know he'll play fullback, but that might force someone else onto the wing. you still got Craig Gilroy in there. And you've also got ahead of uh, Ethan McElroy and then Jacob Stockdale's there as well. You know, Ulster are blessed with a lot of talent in that back three. So he's not guaranteed any game time. He's got to earn his spot in that team. Future Ireland international? No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> so what about another man then that, that has already made that step up this season and was... Uh, probably expected to be the leading light in terms of the, the young guys playing, uh, the captain, uh, David McCann. Jonathan, another positive display from him. I know uh, our, our colleague from the Independent, Kane Tracy, had tweeted during the match that he, he looked uh, a certain future Ulster captain. Yeah, I I picked him as my man of the match. I thought like Bill Johnson was very, very good as well. Aaron Sexton obviously was very good. And there were a number of people who put their hands up, but I thought David McCann was, um, he was the pick of the bunch for me. And I thought you just saw a really good range of his skill set. That Sexton kick chase that I was mentioning earlier, it actually came off a really good pass played off his wrong hand from McCann played out uh, played out to the wing to Sexton. They allowed him to get that kick off. And then we saw his own wee uh, grubber kick through that almost resulted in a try for Moxham when they had a, when they had penalty advantage. So doing an awful lot of things you maybe don't expect from your number eight. And even his pass off the base of the scrum was good as well uh, for one of the Ulster tries. But just in, in terms of his carrying ability and his footwork, his work rate, he just looks like, a, obviously playing at, playing at that level, he just looked like a really, really complete player. Adam, we're going to expect to see more of him then in the near future in the senior team then? Absolutely. Ulster are going to have to start giving him game time. And if that's at the expense of someone else, then so be it. Because he did, he just looked like he belonged at a level higher than that whenever he was playing. And I'm going to eat humble pie. I said a, a few weeks ago that I didn't really see McCann as an open side, but I thought the amount of work rate he got through was something that an open side would get through in a game. So maybe he could play seven long-term, but uh, certainly if, if they put him at number eight, he'd be well, well adept to playing there too. It's just how composed he looks whenever he's doing stuff. You know, he's, I think he's still only 20, 21. So he's still a young guy in terms of his development. But every decision looks to be the correct one. Every decision looks to be the right one. He picks and chooses his moments. He makes his tackles. The weak kick through was genius. And <laughs> it almost came off. And watching it back, you know, that's the kind of thing that would probably go to the TMO if, if there was one. But it's just so it's so impressive to see how controlled uh, a young player can be and i certainly think you know if you want him to reach his potential i think you do have to start looking at how often can we get him in the lineup because he it, it's no secret that he is thought of as being you know a future staple in that ulster back row and if he's playing to this level already i think at some point you've got to bite the bullet and say yeah we've got to get him in the team here pretty regularly and try and start giving him as much exposure to the professional level as possible because ultimately you know you want him to be competing for a spot as soon as possible Jonathan there's been so much talk and, and rightly so Marcel Coutte is probably going to be pretty much irreplaceable for Ulster but like we have talked once or twice about how or who's going to benefit most of all could that be David McCann that really Marcel could say it might be good news leaving might be good news for David McCann I think he was always seen as a long-term successor when you look at somebody who's 
captained the Irish under-20s, who's just been spoken about in such glowing terms on his way through the system, and who was given a chance at such a relatively early stage by Dan McFarland this season. Everybody who has coached him has seen something in him that would indicate that he was going to be a part of that back row for a long time to come. And I suppose realistically, if you were looking at it, there was probably the hope originally that if Marcel had have stayed the extra year, then McCann would have had another season sort of growing alongside him and then eventually taking over that number eight jersey. So maybe it accelerates that process a little bit. Personally, I think just from knowing Dan McFarland and knowing his selections, I don't think it would play too much into pushing him before he was ready. But to me, anyway, he certainly looks like he's ready for more Pro 14 action now anyway. So that might not be too important moving forward the rest of this season and into next season. So if McCann then is one academy player that we can expect to see a lot more of in the senior setup before too long, Philip Totten wants to to know is there anybody else from the that Ulster A team that we are likely to see in the senior setup this year? Don't say Tom O'Toole now, that's cheating. Um and who's most likely to break into the senior side on a regular basis, he says. Can I say Bill Johnson then? <laughs> no, also cheating. <laughs> I could which of uh, the Academy players, sorry. Okay, which Well McCann's definitely the most likely to do it on a regular basis. Yeah. Mm. Um if I was to pick somebody else perhaps less obvious to make an impact over the next six months. I'd probably go Callum Reid, I think. I, I would concur with that. I thought Cormac as a Chukwu had a very good game. Um, I hope I've got that pronunciation right, by the way. If not, I'm said, sorry, Cormac. Um, and you just, you wanted to get it in. You've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, the second row in Ulster, like they have, they have four very good second rows in Henderson, Carter, Treadwell, and Alan O'Connor. And then Dave O'Connor, I think, has been very impressive anytime I've seen him. But, you know, no, nobody's really nailed down that starter's jersey alongside alongside Henderson. You know, you, you wouldn't really go into any game saying this is definitely who's going to start. So from, from my perspective, there's still that little bit of indecision up in the air about uh, the second row, and I'm not saying is a Chukwu off the back of one game is now in contention to start if there was a Pro 14 final tomorrow or something like that. But just, you know, for, from that performance, I thought he was very good. I think he warrants a, a look at in the senior setup, you know, just maybe a, maybe a spot on the bench or something. I, I thought he was very good. And it's just that, you know, that athleticism, that dynamism and the carry, um, I just thought he, w- he was very good. And Johnny Callum Reid didn't actually start the game on Friday. But uh, you, you reckon he's he's still near the top of that uh, that pecking order anyway? Well, if you look at the injury problems that Jack McGrath had, you look at the potential for Eric O'Sullivan. I know Dave Kilcoyne's coming back, but if you, you look at the potential for Eric O'Sullivan to be involved with Ireland during the Six Nations, then there's an opening at Lucid for somebody to stake a claim. I thought he lifted it really when he came on. Uh, him and Tom O'Toole coming on at halftime, I thought they were better than in the second half. Uh, and obviously his rampaging try, bouldering his way through four men, um, is something you don't see from every loose head. Just uh, that dynamism that increasingly you're looking for from your front rowers. Like, you know, it's not just about being able to hold your own in the scrum anymore. People are looking for something something extra with Eric O'Sullivan. It's his work rate. Tom O'Toole and Callum Reid both give you an energy in the carrying game that 
Ulster could really do within the pack. So I think it's a combination of positional need and just his style being able to give Ulster something that they're looking for. Plus, you know, we obviously saw him making his debut recently there against Munster. I know he didn't get uh, didn't get too long on the pitch given his yellow card, but that's a sign as well that um, certainly Dan McFarland thinks that he's nearing readiness anyway. And it'll be interesting because I'd say you're probably going back quite a while, maybe to that one of those methody teams anyway, from a time when you had four players from the same school's cup team playing in an Ulster senior team, that you would have a Fume, Laurie, McCann and Reid all lined out together. I think I think it's very interesting that Gareth Milosinovic started loose head, and it's not it's not been hidden that he can play loose head, but he's been primarily utilised at tight head for Ulster so far. But then moving him to loose head for the A game suggests that they are looking at him there. But I would agree with you, Johnny. I would rather see Reed getting some game time there because I thought he was better in the second half. I thought he offered more. Obviously, because of the age profile, there's a lot more upside to him than. Milosinovic and certainly I think there is a chance over the next few months that if he impresses in training he really could stake a claim to really bump himself up that packing order because it you know that run it wasn't a one-off we saw a run similar to that against Munster that didn't end in a try but it was another big carry and that was against you know a senior side rather than an A side so he does have that in his locker so I think there's certainly something there that Ulster really should be looking at exploring. This is what you need. You need ball carriers in your pack. And Ulster have been crying out for that for so many years. You know, any anytime we get listener questions in, it's always like, where are the ball carriers coming from? You know, what why don't Ulster have big ball carriers in the back row? Here's a big ball carrying prop, you know, that any forward or any coach would love to have. To potentially go along with another one on the other side of the scrum, mm-hmm. plus Henderson and then McCann when he plays, that would be four ball car- or four decent sized ball carriers in your pack when you're trying to offset the loss of one of the best ball carriers that you ever had providing Ian Henderson signs a new contract but uh, we'll, we'll not open well, the can of worms on, the, on this on this podcast so Adam the the Ulster A match fell remarkably well for your digital shift on Friday it meant you could uh, you could put together a little um, five players who impressed which actually turned into six players you wee sneak um, but uh, you, who did, was it you lumped together you lumped two players together didn't you which uh, was I fine, two centers together which was fine we'll let you away with that we'll, we'll talk through uh, a few more of them yet but Johnny has, has picked David McCann out as his man of the match which um, probably was the case and I, I think you said similar but if there was somebody else that we haven't mentioned so far that uh, that impressed you on Friday yeah well McCann yeah was my man of the match as well I thought as a chukwu was impressive um Bill Johnson but Johnson has been very unfortunate in that over the last few months he hasn't got any, any game time and in in the games that he has played I think he's been quite good so for him to come out and put in a performance like that. I thought he was a, I thought he was a little bit quiet in the first half, but in the second half, I thought he really ran the show and he really showed his seniority in that team and just being able to stamp his authority on it. You know, obviously everyone will think about that that kick through for Sexton, but I think just whenever you see how well the backs played, you know, a good fly half always makes sure that the game's running with good tempo, good pace, and Ulster always had that in the in the second half they were always playing at a high tempo pace and Johnson just had that game on a string and I think that shows a great level of maturity for him in the past you know whenever players were told to go and play for the Ulster Ravens they might have uh, thrown up their hands and 
not taken that too kindly. But here's a guy who's come down. He's been told, here's your chance to impress for the Ulster A's. And he's taken it. So I think he's done himself a massive credit there because I think he showed a different dimension to his game. I think he took the ball to the line a lot better than what he has in the past. I think that's something that we haven't really seen from Johnson so far, but I think he did that a lot better in the A game. And maybe there was that bit of confidence, you know, from playing against an A team rather than the senior team, but maybe that's something that you need to develop. Maybe being able to take the ball to the line in an A game will give him the confidence to do that more whenever he's asked to play for the senior side. So I think for him, from a confidence perspective, just being able to get back out there and being able to prove that he has that in his in his locker is massive for him. I think Dan McFarlane watching on will probably have been delighted to see that for all intents and purposes, his third choice fly half can still run a game like that. Shows that he can dip into his depth pool and pick a guy who he knows can still run the game, even though he's third choice. So that's got to be a massive confidence boost uh, for him. It's worth noting as well, just his goal kicking, goal kicking performance was unbelievable. Yeah. Johnson for me is an interesting case, like because if we're going back to near enough this time last year, he had put together one of his best performances in an Ulster jersey, um, having not particularly impressed in those early weeks. And then by the time lockdown hits, He's been showing some good form, but then you come back, you've lost the rhythm, obviously, because it's whatever it was, six months, and in the interim, Ulster have signed in Madigan as well. Mm-hmm. But still, whenever he's played, like I think he's played well. This will obviously be coming up to the end of his second season, really, if you look at it, given that the season could theoretically be over in two months. So you're almost coming to the end of what was, I suppose, the initial deal. And you just wonder how he views it, whether it's been a success for him or not. I know he was talking quite uh, effusively about how much he's enjoyed it. And maybe those tens, those young tens now coming through at Munster again, mean that he would get more rugby up here. But, you know, he's obviously come up for playing time and is still ostensibly the third choice, despite showing a good bit in the over the last, or whenever rugby's been played and he's played over the last... 12 months is you're only talking about a handful of games but um, he's, he's, he's only had seven starts yeah in in the last two seasons Madigan coming in ha, I think must have been a real shock to the system for him because you're right he he was showing some great form before lockdown um that cheetahs game right before lockdown I thought he was brilliant um I thought that was one of his best games in an Ulster jersey and then to suddenly be forced back down into third choice must be really tough. And especially to see Madigan getting the lion's share of game time whenever Burns has been unavailable must be quite galling as well. I thought there would have been more of a sort of a 50-50 between the two of them, but it has been Madigan more than Johnson. Whenever you weigh up where, you're, where you think your potential lies, maybe he needs to go and get more game time somewhere else. I think Ulster better for having him. I think Ulster are a better side for having him as one of their fly halves. But um, for his own personal development, yeah, he, he's got to be sort of weighing up where where am I better served being as second slash third choice at Ulster or potentially going somewhere where I'm guaranteed more game time. One to one to look out for certainly, and uh, and and keep an eye on. I'm sure in an ideal world, Ulster wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to lose him. 
Another player then, Jonathan, that featured on the Adams uh, Five players and was also name-checked by Kieran Campbell afterwards was uh, Harry, Ch- Harry Sheridan. Um, will you tell us a little bit about his performance and what, what Kieran had? To, well, well, we'll hear what Kieran had to say in a little minute, but if you can just sort of tell us the context of it. Yeah, so he was playing at six. I think he played lock in school. He's been, um, just as as I mentioned there earlier, like been involved with the, with the 20s recently, though obviously they're not going to be playing games as early as we'd hoped. Um, yeah, I thought he had a good... Him and Conor McMenamin were the two other players that I hadn't sort of talked about that I thought had good games. Um, both sub-academy players. I think we talked about last week or two weeks ago, obviously, in relation to McElroy um, and even Eric O'Sullivan as well. And, you know, the sub-academy isn't like... It's not like you're going to not make it from the sub-academy now. There is, I suppose, that pathway, but... It's another one that people will be looking at and being like, oh, you know, if he's playing so well, why is he not in the academy, I suppose? Well, it was shared and then that Campbell name-checked when he was making a rather interesting point about the, the strength and depth of the Leinster Academy and Sub-Academy and what he wants to achieve here at Ulster. Um, so, yeah, it was all very interesting. And uh, here's what he said. We wanted to get to a position where there's a huge fight to get into our academy um, to make sure that success wasn't just cyclical, it was actually became a system. I think we're starting to get a system now. Like you, you look at today, like Harry Sheridan, and this is, you know, people don't know some of these things. Like Harry Sheridan, who played at six today, is studying in Trinity. He went to Sullivan School. He's not on a contract. Um, he's in our sub academy. You know, he had a really good game today. That's the sort of depth we're looking at, and I'm not going to be satisfied until I have loads of Harry Sheridans, so that it's an absolute fight to get into our academy. And, and I think the other thing with it as well, and, and this is just. You know, what excites me today too is like we had, a, we had a boy in the second row from Donegal, we had a boy on the wing from Lauren High. Um, funny story from him because I was trying to get from him today is I was actually said, had a bit of a joke with him today. I said, you know, how, how, how did you ever get into rugby, Ben? And he, he said, we used to steal the balls from Lauren Grammar. <laughs> so what's good for me is we're building a depth, but we're also building a way to get, I suppose, the non-traditional talent into the, into the system as well and for it to come through. Okay, so quickly before we uh, we move on then to more of our listener questions, just um, a final shout. Any other players that you would like to, to name check who had a good game on Friday? I thought Hayden Hyde was quite good in the centre. Um, thought Ben Carson had, had a decent game as well, especially having, as Johnny mentioned, not played since the school's cup semi-final. Um, but Doak, I, I thought, ran the game quite well from scrum half. Um Great, great box kicking. I thought always contestable. I suppose it helps whenever you've got Aaron Sexton chasing after them, and you know he can get anywhere in the pitch in 0.3 seconds. Um, but I, I thought Doak had a had a decent game from scrum half. Uh, Hyde's run or his his line for the uh, for Sexton's first try was brilliant. Like that's that's the kind of line you want your center running all the time, and he uh, he picked it perfectly and pretty much set up that try himself one thing that I, I was just really impressed with was how Ulster's pack dominated Leinster's like Leinster's pack included uh, Ryan Baird Jack Dunn Dan Sheehan um, Alex Soroka who's in the in the 20s I'm sure there are several other guys who are in the 20s as well you know that that was a pretty heavyweight Leinster pack and Ulster's pack were all over them I thought Ulster won that game in the forwards and then the backs ended up scoring most of the tries. So, you know, that that for me is a big positive because in previous years, 
we have questioned why aren't Ulster producing the forwards to go with the backs that they're producing and yet here is a pack that included two academy forwards one sub academy forward and a smattering of senior guys and they were by far the better team okay well well one name that uh, probably overshadowed them all after the game was uh, Rory Best it's all anybody seemed to want to talk about the last day or two he was of course on the on the coaching bench, um, he's been lent in a hand. So JW uh, says it's great news for our young forwards to have Rory Best sharing his wealth of knowledge with the Ulster A team. So he just wants to know in what capacity is his role and will he be offered a forwards coaching position within Ulster? Well, yeah, just talking to Kieran Campbell about it on Friday. Like he's obviously sense more of a mentoring role that he's doing. It's not a formalized role. He's been in and out and I think as... Kieran said it was being fitted in around farming commitments and television commitments and as he joked golfing commitments so um it's not uh it's not like he's in with them every day or anything like that but the interesting thing that even he was saying the the interesting thing that I thought that he was saying was about how it's good for the coaches to have him in because he can give feedback on just as somebody who's so recently retired he can give feedback to the coaches on the messages that they're delivering to the players and how the players are going to respond to that. It was something you don't really think about, I suppose, when you look at Rory Best as a massively experienced player, but a coaching novice in those terms, that he can give something to experienced coaches as well, just by being able to give that player's perspective. And that probably helps that, I suppose, mentoring aspect as well. Um, not just that he's Rory Best, former Ireland captain, former British and Irish Lion, Ulster legend, giving you the information but it's somebody that's so recently connected to even just the arena of high performance and knows what it takes to have that kind of career because at the end of the day he's there's not many if any Ulsterman have ever put together that type of cv so to have somebody who knows not just about the nuances of forward play but just knows the level of dedication and commitment that it requires to reach that level is a great thing to be able to pass on to young players and i think that's a huge part of it for Rory Best. Just the phrase that kept being used was giving something back, you know, just being able to impart that knowledge onto the next generation is something that it sounds like he's very keen and willing to do as well. So what about from a career point of view, presumably Roddy Grant won't be overly enamored at the the line of questioning of Rory being offered the forwards coach position at Ulster, but is this something that Rory is maybe looking at for a proper career point of view, like to go one step further and this just lent a hand and actually becoming a, a full-time coach or what are we looking at here? Full-time coaching is a lot. I think it's an awful lot more difficult than people sometimes acknowledge. And Certainly there was a time when Rory didn't know, this may have changed since the last time I was talking to him, but certainly there was a time when he didn't know if that was something that he wanted to do or if what he wanted to do was more in line with, you know, a scrum expert or mentoring role and the type of thing that it sounds like he's doing with the academy now. Like, as I say, that might have changed, but like, if you're somebody of that profile and you think about, you know, the likes of Brian O'Driscoll or people like that, I'm not saying TV is easy because it's not easy in any way, but it's perhaps a less stressful way to make your money than coaching where you're reliant on 15 other people getting a result at the weekend so that you have a job come Monday morning. Like it's a very stressful way to make a living, obviously. 
And as you pointed out before we started recording, Adam, that Rory really does love the farm and has talked so much about getting back to the farm after he finished playing. Is he really going to want to give that up so soon again? Nothing beats getting up at 5am to milk some cows, right? (laughs) That's what I'm told. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I've never done it myself. um, Look, this this could be him dipping his toe in and seeing what it would be like. And uh, I love the thought of asking... uh, Ireland, the former Ireland captain, the former British and Irish Lions hooker feels like he needs to give something back to the game um, <laughs> as if he hasn't given enough already. Yeah. Um, but look, he, I, I would say this is him probably just getting a bit of a taster. You know, what what would it be like? Obviously, he's not in on a, on a very regular basis. You know, he's not in every day taking a look at the team. He's not in doing massive amounts of work with them or going going home and doing massive amounts of research or anything like that but you know this is maybe just him saying what would it be like to be a coach is this something I want to pursue or am I happy just being in every so often on a on a mentorship basis and seeing what I can impart just whenever the coaches need me it's it's something that no doubt I think he'll be thinking about I I don't doubt that he would have the ability to be a coach I think he is a very knowledgeable rugby player not just from a sense of how to play the game but how to impart that knowledge onto other people um, about the game and anytime you know we chatted to him and did media with him he he always came across as someone who knew the game inside out and was uh, very analytical in his approach so I think if he went for it he would be a very good coach but as Johnny said the you know, coaching isn't for everyone. There might be aspects of it that he feels like he can't do, or there might be aspects of it that he feels that he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't be good enough to do. Like it's his decision, and ultimately, yes, he does have the farm as well that he has to look after, and we all know how much he loves it there. And ultimately, who could turn down as much golf as he wants as well? So, <laughs> absolutely. Like I think I think if Rory Best wants to work within the setup or the structure of Ulster Irish rugby, there'll be a place for him. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, if that's what he wants to do, basically. Yeah. So a couple more questions. Time is uh, is taken on as always, but a couple more questions on specific individuals. The first one uh, comes in from William Doyne, and he asks about a man that um, we could be forgiven. Uh, for having forgotten about uh, for a little bit of time. He asked, could Will Addison's injury and the lack of updates on it prove career-ending, or at least for his career at Ulster? Well, the lack of updates isn't because of a severity of injury. Like, if you stub your toe or you shred your knee, Ulster give you the same level of updates, you're injured. Like, we've asked, we continue to ask, and we're continually told to wait for injury updates that don't provide any clarity on the length of time somebody's going to be injured for um, and obviously you're not out and about leaving the house anymore to ask people off their records so it's a lot more difficult to get updates on these type of things than it once was so I wouldn't read too much into that the timeline that I had heard was more encouraging recently than it had been but again as we've continually been told with him it's a back injury so it's not as easy to put a timeline on um, but I think it's an issue that he has to deal with and he has had to deal with for a long time, but certainly the last thing I heard was that he was still working towards coming back. Well, we'll keep our, our fingers crossed on that one. That um, we, we do see him back in an Ulster and Ireland shirt uh, before too long. The last question then on a specific individual offers us no context, Adam. Uh, Stephen Hillis just asks, uh, well, 
I don't know. I suppose it is a question. Peter Samu, question mark. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Pete Samu is, Brumby's flanker, uh, Australia flanker as well. Um, he is under contract until 2022. Now, we know from Ulster's original signing of Kutsia that sometimes contract lengths don't necessarily mean that teams can't sign them, but I would be surprised if, given the current climate, Ulster would be in the process of buying someone out of a contract there would be much there are players who are out of contract that would be uh much better players to target than pete samu but i would say probably not on samu i haven't heard anything about him one way or the other but i, I would be leaning towards not um on the on the kutsia situation i mean it's a case of the rfu seem to be pushing for one of the other provinces, number eights, to be coming up north to Ulster, and Ulster are very keen on signing someone from abroad, which you would say is their prerogative, given that they're losing an NIQ and they'd probably like to replace him with an NIQ. But uh, Pete Samu, I don't think, will be that NIQ. Uh, maybe Stephen Hillis knows, uh, knows something we don't, um, but uh, time will tell on that one. Uh, so a few of our other listener questions then. We'll, we'll start with uh, Dono, the weekly Dono. Should Ulster consider themselves among the favourites for the Challenge Cup? If so, how would you prioritise squad rotation? Needing every point available in the Pro 14 to stand a chance of making the final if Leinster slip up, what he says is a slim hope of that happening, uh, versus the real possibility of winning the Challenge Cup. That's if the Challenge Cup goes ahead at all, I suppose, at this stage, but um, presuming that it is going to, what what way would you consider Ulster among the favourites and what way would you view this in terms of, of squad rotation? We said a few weeks ago that the Pro 14 was, uh, without doubt, the priority. Would that is that changed in any way after that um, the result against Leinster not picking up a bonus point? Well, theoretically, the Pro 14 should be finished before the Challenge Cup starts. Theoretically being the key word. Theoretically, indeed, being the key word. Um, should they be the favourites? Absolutely, they should be the favourites. If Now, there's an awful lot of assumption in here. If the Pro 14, or sorry, if the Champions Cup goes to the last 16 and the Challenge Cup is there for the teams that are not in that last 16, Ulster should far and away be the best of that bunch. Because you're talking about all the teams that had horrendous Champions Cup campaigns, plus the teams who are already in the Challenge Cup in a year where the Champions Cup was as big as it's ever been. And then if the Pro 14 does finish first, no real need for too much squad rotation, we could be looking at a, a, a double. Yeah, a bit ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> Why not, Gareth? Why not? Why not? Ulster, <laughs> Ulster haven't won a trophy since 2005 and we're christening them double champions already. <laughs> It's pandemic, a global pandemic that has shut life down for the past 10 months. Stranger things have happened. Very true, very true, Jonathan. Uh, I'll not be putting my money on it all the same, but look, you never know. Um, Big Jim then asks Is the possible demise of the Rainbow Cup a blessing for Ulster? As I was saying earlier, I do find it uh, quite funny that a competition that hasn't yet risen is uh, already on on the brink of demise. But uh, again, such is life in the midst of a pandemic. Blessing for Ulster? Could be a blessing for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Blessing for Ulster will be obviously the financial aspect. So the South Africa Rugby Union pays a participation fee to the Pro 14. 
which is split up among the teams. Now, whether they still have to pay that money if they're not in the, in any of the competitions for a year would be the key aspect of it because it's reported to be a relatively significant sum of money anyway. Not having to fly to South Africa in the middle of a pandemic at the end of a season that may or may not be finished in March in between a Lions tour that may or may not happen or may or may not happen in South Africa would be, probably be considered in a blessing in the short term if there's no big financial hit to it. Because as the Auto Nations Cup, I think, provided the cautionary tale, you can't make people care about tournaments that you just create out of the air because you tell them that they should. Very true. Very true. So that brings us neatly on to our final question. It comes in from our old friend, B.R. Stout, who we haven't heard from for a while, but uh, very nice to hear from you again. Hope, you, hope you're well. Um, so he's basically looking at an update on all of those competitions that Ulster and Ireland will be involved in the remainder of this season. And of course, then the Lions Tour uh, in the summer. We had done a little bit of an update on that last week and probably nothing's changed, really. The Six Nations is going ahead. Um, it seems to be all systems go. Ireland will be announcing their squad next week, all being well. And as for the rest of the Pro 14, um, everything's sort of on until it's not on, as we said last week. So uh, you can uh, keep an eye on that. But more pertinently... Yeah, the Pro 14 is, I suppose, it's much more likely to go back to the original format, I suppose. So that has changed. Okay, okay. Say, say a little bit more about that. So this is all going off the back of Razi Erasmus' comments yesterday, which will tie into the Lions discussion as well. But Razi Erasmus has said that there are contingency plans in place should the Rainbow Cup not happen. They'll just have a, another Curry Cup. So presumably if that were to happen, the Pro 14 wouldn't end in March just for the good of its health. So it would I then... That. That's, yeah, I haven't thought of that. That's very true. Yeah. Which is interesting for a number of reasons, because one, I suppose in the very immediate short term, it takes away the imperative of finishing ahead of Leinster. And that's probably more of what that uh, that question was getting at earlier, about is it a blessing in disguise? Big Jim's question. A blessing in disguise for Ulster in terms of that they now have a better chance then of, uh, of making the playoffs again. Yeah, but you still want to finish ahead of Leinster. Like this is oh, probably yeah. this is probably the best chance you've had for a long time of actually finishing ahead of Leinster in the standings, and uh, getting a home semi final is obviously much more preferable to getting an away semi final. Yeah, I would look at it from a different perspective. Of if the Pro Fourteen stays with their currently announced format, their second format of the season, I suppose, then in order to knock Leinster out of comp contention for winning the league, all you have to do is finish above them over the next six weeks when they don't have their international players. Whereas if it goes back to its original format, then again, you're looking at mm-hmm. having to beat them in a knockout game when both teams are full of strength. But I understand both the premise of the question and Adam's viewpoint. We'll not know really until yeah. the end of the conference stage. If Ulster finished first... Well, that's exactly it. You'll know game. on like... Yeah, you'll know on the 20th of March or whatever it is because yeah. if you're ahead of Leinster and that's not Leinster out, then it's a good thing. But if you're... <laughs> it's the 20th of March and you're behind Leinster and you're out of the playoffs, then it's a bad thing. <laughs> my... I suppose my thinking of it would be I think that Ulster's best chance of winning the Pro 14 is in a one-off final against a team from Conference B. Yeah, if I that agree. Makes- yeah 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 but 
I refuse to care about the Rainbow Cup regardless. So, <laughs> so be uh, be out then. The question is, which of these competitions are the public even bothered about? Which I think is the question. Clearly, a man yes. after my own heart. After what I did. <laughs> I well, mean, I it's th- it's it's so weird to watch all these games behind closed doors. Like uh, the NHL ice hockey started back last week. I'm watching all the games. It looks like just practice drills. And I, I get there's a bit of there's a bit of physicality there, but it just looks like these guys playing in front of empty arenas. They're just practicing. And to a certain extent, it does look a little bit like that in the rugby as well. And for me, whoever wins these tournaments, there will always be the asterisk beside them of, well, you won it in a year where the Champions Cup was, you know, massively inflated. In terms of teams, like Liverpool in the chat or Liverpool winning the league last year, you know it always has that asterisk attached to it. Exactly, still better. Or league final, Jonathan. But you know, if if you go forward, let's let's theoretically say Ulster win the league this year. If you go forward five years and you're looking back on it, sure, Ulster won the Pro 14, but but you won the Pro 14 in a year where the South African teams dropped out. You didn't play everybody home and away or you you didn't you didn't play a full slate of fixtures and you didn't have the proper playoffs you know people will sort of say was that the was that a proper league win and people will have differing opinions on that for me what's more important is looking at how the squad's coming on this season if a trophy comes at the end of it great you know that that's a bonus for me. For me, 2020-21 season is more about the squad progression for Ulster. And for me, you know, how how does this team look in terms of its depth from the start of the season to the end of the season? And so far it's on a good good sort of trajectory. They've got to keep it that way. I think that's what you should care about more than necessarily who wins the competitions at the end. I don't know. I like. I don't think that the. I don't think there is as big an asterisk as people think that there will be with the Pro 14 or indeed Europe because you're still going to have to beat the best teams, in order to win it. Like if Ulster win, yeah, the Pro, if Ulster win the Pro 14, then they deserve to win it because they've had to get more points over the course of the season than Leinster, and then they've had to beat Monster. So I understand but if, but if you, but if you the idea at- of like the teams not being at full strength if the competition is decided through the Six Nations window. But just in like in general, to me, it's interesting what people do and don't care about watching to the same degree. I haven't minded particularly, I think, the lack of crowd so much of the Pro 14. Like I still enjoyed watching, watching it this year, watching the Irish teams in it this year. Still enjoyed the derbies but then like what adam says about the nhl feeling like like it's a training game it's interesting to me how some different sports have managed to maintain the level of importance that people place on their games and others haven't and i can't really put my finger on why that's been but like the six nations for example like the six nations is for me anyway the rugby tournament that i enjoy watching the most but I've no real appetite for it whatsoever it, to see it in empty stadiums. But like, I don't feel that way about the Pro 14. And I don't really know why that is. Is it just because the crowd doesn't add as much to a Pro 14 game? 
they're not always full stadiums anyway or what it is but like or whether it's just a hangover from the conclusion of the Six Nations and the Autumn Nations Cup that I don't really want to see any more of that obviously it's going to happen anyway because of broadcasting things but like yeah I, I think it's it's interesting and the the question to me is interesting because it, it makes me confident that it's not just me that feels this way that like their attachment to some things some sporting events isn't the same as what it was but like there's other things that I don't really mind watching without a crowd like again to go down the US border like the NFL hasn't had crowds or has had small crowds but the playoffs there's their playoffs that are on at the minute are still massively entertaining mm. but I don't feel I like the nations is going to be massively entertaining without crowds and I don't know what the difference is if the Lions tour went ahead behind closed doors, I think there'd be massively less investment from fans because, as we've talked about in previous weeks, what makes a Lions tour is all the Lions fans travelling to South Africa, Australia, New Zealand in force. All the New Zealand, Australia, South Africa fans coming out in force to watch their local teams play against the Lions. That's where the Lions tour is made. All right, there's things around it that are great, but what ultimately makes the Lions tour so special is you have packed out stadiums for every single game, even the wee warm-up games, and there's so much excitement around it. And then the tests are kind of like this crescendo at the end of it, which you're not going to get. exactly the same way, but like I don't know why, because... I've never been to a Lions game. So my experience of watching the Lions has just always been watching it on TV. So what difference does it make to me? Because I think, the, but like I, don't... I, th- I think the Lions, the whole aspect and the whole ethos of the Lions is four nations coming together to create one team. And it's, you know, that unity of different cultures and different rugby aspects coming together to make one team and therefore whenever you lose the fan aspect of it and yeah you you still have that within the team but whenever you don't have the fan aspect of that following along with you I think there's there's a certain aspect of it that gets left behind it certainly is a an an interesting dynamic of um, sport in 2020 and now 2021 but um, here we are that's us for this week so even though Ulster aren't playing we will be back next week with a podcast of of some description anyway Um, so uh, tune in there but for now from Adam McHenry cheers guys Tom from Bradley thank you and myself Gareth Anna thanks for listening 